Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be up there on the screen in back of me. 1 Corinthians 2, we'll get there in just a moment. I don't know if you have noticed, but God has a way of of knocking us down at times and reminding us that we're weak and we're not very impressive. Uh, It was 26 years ago, the fall of 1993, and... uh, my brother, my friend Jesse and I were playing for the Linmar Lion football team. Uh, I was playing uh, free safety, he was strong safety, and we were ranked number three in the state. We had won our first two games, and uh, Iowa City, City High, was ranked number two in the state. By the way, I think Bettendorf was rated number one at that time because um, they had won the state championship before with Tavian Banks. Some of you know all this Iowa history, others of you could care less, but anyway, we were pumped, and here's why. One of the most decorated athletes who have ever played uh, high school and college football was coming and descending upon Armstrong Field, and that name was uh, Tim Dwight. Uh, Tim Dwight, some of you know him. And so we as a, a football team were, were pumped. We were excited uh, just uh, at the opportunity we had in front of us. Home t- team, home crowd. Uh, by the way, there were 5,000 fans that came to watch this, to watch him probably uh, play. And uh, so we started off, man, we were, we, were, we were dominating, I think for two minutes, two minutes of the game. <laughs> And then uh, their speed and quickness and, uh, man, they were huge as well, just took over. Uh, They began to show why they were um, so good. They went on to win the state championship. But during that game, uh, one of the plays I will never forget was uh, Jesse and I, we were standing as the the upbacks, so we were on the punt team, and we were punting towards uh, City High, and Tim Dwight was returning the punt. And so our job... Uh, was to kind of make sure nobody would come in and block the punt and then to kind of contain on the outside. And so we got in a position, position to do that. And I still, for this day, I don't know why we were punting to Tim Dwight. <laughs> if you know him, you're like, don't punt to him, punt away from him. Uh, so anyway, we, we punted to him. And he, of course, is so fast. And we started making our way down. And as we uh, were juked out by Tim Dwight, Jesse and I ended up actually running in together and uh, falling down. And we, we got back up, and I think we bounced again. You were talking about like we were ping pong balls, just rip, rip, rip. And it was completely humbling, to say the least. Um, the score at the end of the game, we didn't even reach the fourth quarter. The refs threw in the towel. Uh, we lost 53 to zero. It was a shellacking. We were humbled greatly. And it, I think it became somewhat of a metaphor uh, for our lives and our friendship. Um, Jesse and I, in the game of life, we've been friends ever since, you know, way, way back in high school, um, college roommates, and we've kept in touch. And Jesse and I, we have walked through times of weakness 
and we've stumbled, and we get knocked down, and we try to help each other up, but we're not, we're not that impressive. So you have a pastor and a missionary that are not very impressive, all right? <laughs> you already knew that, though, church. You knew that about me. Um, but in the context of this letter, I want to remind you, the, the, the Corinthians, they were a people who were struggling with pride. I mean, they were following after their favorite preachers. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And so at the root of that, at the root of this division was, was pride. They had forgotten the cross. They had forgotten their weakness, that they weren't very impressive. They had forgotten the fact that God's power is shown through human weakness. That God's wisdom is shown through human foolishness. And Paul goes to great lengths to make this point and to outline this principle. So back in chapter 1, we looked at last week, in verse 18, he points them to the cross. Look at the cross, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it makes no sense. It's folly. It seems foolishness. It's so weak. It's not very impressive. Look at the cross. Then he tells them in verse 20, look out at the world. He says, where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So look at the best and brightest out there. Aren't they just fools? They're not very impressive. And then he says, after looking at the cross and looking at the world, he says, look at yourselves. Take a look at yourselves. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, but not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And so when we consider ourselves and how God has called us, he wasn't looking at us like, I need you on my team. No, he's looking out at us and we're not very wise. We're not very powerful. We're foolish. We're not very impressive. Now, I was looking at our old directory. We're going to get a new directory, hopefully, another month or so, and just looking through the pages and looking at the families and, and then looked at the picture of myself. I'm just thinking, we're an unimpressive group of people, aren't we? I mean, and God chose this group of people to make a difference in Humboldt, Iowa. Can you imagine? Us, really. So Paul says, look at the cross, look at the world, look at yourselves, and he says, if you still doubt this principle of God's power shown in weakness, look at me, he says. Look at how I came to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he says, after you've looked elsewhere, look at me. I'm not impressive. And he's done this on purpose. Paul is doing this on purpose to highlight the fact that God shows his power through human weakness. Why? It's the way of the cross, isn't it? This is the way of the cross. The absurdity of the cross seems upside down to us, and yet Jesus came to us in weakness, and so did Paul to the church at Corinth. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is the word of God. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear, much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So real simple outline today, I want to focus on how Paul came to them and then why 
Paul came to them. So let's look at the how. How did he come to them? And we begin in verse 1, we see how he did not come to them. He did not come in this way. Look at verse 1 again. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Verse 4, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. And he's picking up where he left off in chapter 1, verse 17, where he writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So listen, Paul could have come into the city of Corinth. He knew that this city was an influential city, right? We remember that it was on this isthmus here. It was an incredibly important port city, and it was, it was a huge, thriving metropolis, And so this was a city known for its status and wealth and power. And Jews and Greeks were in this city. And so if Paul wanted to come to impress the crowd, to grow a church fast, he probably would have gone to what was called the theater. This was a place where thousands could sit and be entertained. You know, they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have a phone. And so if you wanted entertainment, you had to actually go there to the theater and be entertained. And if he wanted to, to, to get a crowd, to, to gain a following, he would have gone there and started performing miracles. Why? Because Jews were wanting signs. They thought, we, we need a Messiah that's going to come in power. And so if Paul wanted to show himself and to flex his muscles and to show, hey, this is it, the kingdom is coming, he would have, become, he would have come to them performing miracles. Secondly, more than likely, if he wanted to impress them, he would have come into the theater and come into the city with this high, lofty speech and rhetoric. The Corinthians, as you recall, and especially the Greeks, valued wisdom. They valued oratory skill. They valued somebody who could entertain them and persuade them with their fine arguments. So if Paul really wanted to do that, he could have. He was a brilliant man. As you see, he's written this entire book, obviously led by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we know even from his past, this man was steeped in Old Testament law. He knew what he was talking about, and yet he comes differently. He didn't want to elevate himself. He didn't want any of the glory to go to himself. And so he came, I think, taking it down a notch And he, being in Christ, as we'll see, came in a very different way. So he did not come to them with high and lofty speech or wisdom. So how did he come? Positively, how did he come? Look at verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul came to them in weakness. What does that mean? He he came to them as a weak man, both in speech and in body. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, Paul says this about him, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. You remember, the Corinthians were attracted to Apollos because he seemed to have eloquence and boldness. Paul, just kind of a simple guy, not so impressive. He came that way in a simple manner. His speech was weak. His body was weak. In Galatians 4, 13 to 14, 
says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me. Now, we're unsure about what this trial was. It could have been his eyesight, if we go down and read in the verses that follow. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, we see him talking about this thorn. So to keep me from being conceited, and I just want to pause right here and say this, there's a reason why God gives thorns to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Some of you are dealing with one, a physical one, a, an emotional one. I don't know what it is in your life, but there's a reason why, and here's the main one, to keep you and me from being conceited, because pride is a much bigger thorn, isn't it? To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me." Now, Paul was a weak man in body. Not only did he struggle with bad eyesight, that could have been the, the thorn in his side. Some commentators, this is not authoritative, but they believe that he may have, at this point in his life, he was not only had bad eyes, he was probably bald and bow-legged. So if you can imagine this older man coming into this town, uh, not very impressive, and more than likely, at this point in his life, he's also been battered and bruised by persecution, uh, shipwrecked, and, and all kinds of and stonings, and being whipped and scourged. This man suffered more than any other man other than Jesus. And so he was not impressive in his physical appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him, like it says of Jesus in Isaiah 53. And I think this just flies in the face of contemporary culture, where we value the celebrity pastor and all his strengths and all his gifts. I don't think it's always the pastor's fault, by the way. It's our need to follow some man and be impressed by some man and his oratory gifts and his strength and his appearance. I was talking to Pastor Josh and Pastor Johnny about this this past week, and we were just kind of talking about all this and saying, you know, this whole idea of being cool as a pastor. And I said, well, I don't think I'll have to worry about that. And they said, yeah, yeah, we agree. And it seemed like they said that, like, with no pause whatsoever, right? And I said, really? So there's no coolness? But I'm, I'm 43, right? I'm beyond cool, hopefully. And you think about Paul, all right? If he came into Corinth trying to be cool, you can't be cool and preach the cross. Those things don't coexist together, Right? It's a humbling message, and he came with a life that matched it. And so Paul's like, hey, wait a second, I'm not coming with my lofty words. I'm coming in weakness, he says, not in plausible words of wisdom. I'm not going to persuade you with all of my rhetoric. No, I'm coming with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Spirit is working through the gospel and bringing his power to bear upon this word. Paul saw himself more like a cracked clay pot. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Have you seen yourself that way, Christian? 
you and I are not impressive. We're broken, fragile jars of clay. But there's a treasure inside. There's a treasure. And as we reveal our cracks and our weaknesses, the light of the gospel shines through all the more brightly. The surpassing power that belongs to God. That's how Paul lived. That's how he came. So why? Why did he come that way? Why did he come in weakness? The first thing we see here is that he wanted his life to match his message. He wanted his life to match the message of the cross, didn't he? He was preaching the message of the cross, and he came as a crucified man. Guys, the message of a crucified Savior must come through crucified people. That was Paul. Notice in verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the message that he resolved to keep coming back to. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to see a lot of different things that he writes about. So it's not like he just stayed stuck on Jesus and the cross. But everything was related back to the cross. Everything was under the shadow of the cross. And that's the way it should be in our lives as well. Is your marriage under the shadow of the cross? Your job, your family, are you living under the light and the shadow of the cross? And so Paul wanted his, his life to match this message, and I love how he says, I decided, he resolved, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul was a herald, not an entertainer. In Corinth, it was, I'm sure, tempting to entertain the crowds. To give them what they wanted to hear. Paul didn't give them what they wanted to hear. He gave them the message of the cross, which was foolishness, weakness. But he preached the cross. He preached this gospel as a herald. A herald gets the message, the announcement from the king, and is faithful to that message. He announces it as good news. There's a king that's come, and you must repent and turn from your sins and follow him. That's what a herald would do, would proclaim So Paul was proclaiming this. What is this gospel of Christ and him crucified? I asked my kids this past week at the dinner table, hey, the gospel, you hear that word a lot. If you were asked in just two minutes, if somebody was in need and you only had a couple minutes with them, could you share with them the gospel? And they kind of looked at me a little bit like, dad, (laughs) sometimes I can get a little bit pastorly um, with my uh, comments at the dinner table, but I just want to challenge them to think about that, and so I just kind of modeled for them, and I'll do it for you. In two minutes, can you share the gospel? So God made the heavens and the earth, saved the best for last. He made you and me in his image to reflect back to him his glory, and yet all of us on our own, we have not loved God or glorified him as such. We have failed miserably. Just like Adam and Eve, we didn't trust God. We tried to be God. And we have a bent towards sin. Every one of us is born into sin. And the Bible says in Isaiah 59 that our sins have made a separation between us and God. So there's this big chasm that separates us from God. And there's no way for us to bridge the gap. But we try to, right? We try to by our good works and by our church attendance and by being a nice person in the community. But we can't do it. All our sins are like filthy rags. 
We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we're headed towards eternal punishment. And God saw our plight. And he said, I'm sending my son on a rescue mission. You can't do it, but my son can. And Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. Always obeyed his father in heaven. And he marched all the way to the cross. Why? Because he was the one mediator between God and man. The one bridge to make a ransom for us to make a way for us. He represented God and he represented man and he bled on our behalf and he took all our punishment that we deserve and he rose again from the grave and he defeated sin and Satan and death and now he's offering to us, would you repent of your sin and admit that you are a sinner and believe in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. That's the gospel. Have you believed in the gospel? That's the message Paul was preaching. And he wasn't only preaching this, he was living this. We sang today, my life has been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says that very thing. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what does that mean? Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians 4... He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, we're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What's that mean? It means that we participate with Christ in his death and his resurrection daily. I've been reading a book just recently by Paul Miller. Some of you know that author. He, he also wrote the book, A Praying Life, which radically influenced my prayer life. He's written a book called The J-Curve. And what he, what he says here in this book is that if you could picture your life as a J, we follow along with Jesus in his life as Christians And sometimes in life, we're doing okay, and then all of a sudden, we experience loss, suffering, discouragement, depression, maybe a death of a family member, and it feels like we're experiencing death. We're going down, 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 this downward path that kind of hurts, is frustrating, We think, what is God doing in this place? Is he even here? I feel like he's forsaken me. And yet in that place, we're reenacting the beauty of the gospel story, of his death for us. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? In the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Dying to yourself, that is not easy. It's humbling, being crucified with Christ. The J-curve is the pattern of our lives. And out of those experiences, we come to a place of realizing we have died with him and we will rise again with him. The suffering comes first and then the glory that awaits. Maybe not here in this life, but it's coming someday and we can have that hope. Makes me think of the fall season. I love this time of the year. Anybody else out there love the fall season out there? A few hands, um, maybe, okay. 
how many of you guys love what's coming after the fall season? <laughs> not, not many. Um, but what I love about the fall, I mean, there's so many things, right? I mean, the comfy sweatshirts, the crisp, cool air, you know, the homemade soups, the pumpkin bars, all these kinds of fun things, and the beauty of leaves falling from the trees, right? The colorful leaves. But when you think about this, it's beautiful, and yet it's death that's happening all around us, right? Like these, these leaves, they're hanging on, you know, they're want, not wanting to let go, and then the wind comes, and then they fall, and they die. And it's a beautiful death. And some of us here in this room, we've got to die to ourselves and quit hanging on to try to live life for ourselves and to die with Christ and to suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. It's a beautiful death. And this gets into the ultimate reason then why Paul would preach this message this way and come this way in weakness. Verse 5 says this, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul would not come to impress people, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He came in weakness, he didn't come with all these persuasive arguments so that your faith and mine wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, the power of God in his gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of this gospel, and he could have been. As he comes into Corinth, I mean, he had to share a message that was offensive of a crucified Jesus on a cross, a bloody Savior. And if he preached this message, he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You see, the power was not in the man. It was in the message. That's where the power was. So don't ever say, man, I just listened to a powerful preacher. No, you heard a powerful gospel, a powerful word from God through a mere man. Some of you have experienced the power of a changed life. You've seen it in your life and the lives of others. From death to new life, you've experienced that power. But I also want you to know there's a power in a crucified life with Christ. When you're humbled with Him and you've experienced weakness and brokenness, I know in my own story, more and more I feel like I am 43 years old. Physically and emotionally, at times, I feel like I can barely get up. There are joyful days, but there are hard days. There are really hard days. And yet the power of Christ and Him living within me. He says, you don't have to be strong, Doug. You don't have to be smart. Don't run from your weakness. And don't keep running in your own power. Rely upon Him. Guys, Jesus came to you in weakness so you can come to him in the same way. Let's pray. Father, as we now prepare our hearts for communion, I pray that our hearts would be reminded of this cross. It is an old, rugged cross, and yet it is a wonderful cross. Thank you for the, the beauty of your sacrifice for us there and how it not only saves us, but it is the center of our lives. And I pray that if there's one here today that is still walking in their own power, wanting to live this life in their own strength, that they would repent and come to you 
for forgiveness, just admitting, I need you in my life, King Jesus. Receive me. I receive you. So bless this time as we now celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.